0: Well, good morning, family. It's good to be with you all. It's good to see your faces. Uh, my name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here. I've uh, been out for a couple weeks, so you may not have seen me for a little while. I had uh, some time away with my family. We went to the Outer Banks. Uh, we paid someone to catch fish because the last few times we went and we didn't pay anyone, we didn't catch any fish. So that apparently, whether you're fishing for it or buying it at Harris Teeter, you have to pay. Um, but we had a restful time and I'm thankful for it. So thank you to Pastor Jermaine and the rest of the team that, that held things down while I was away. Uh, but it is a pleasure to be back with you and to see your wonderful faces. Some faces I haven't seen in a while and it's really good to see you. And some of you are new and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to join with us today. Hope you've been encouraged. Um, we, when I left, we were in a series on, on Jonah and, and this has been an interesting book. four chapters, Fairly straightforward, the lesson is largely don't be like Jonah. And we've seen how this, this individual, this prophet of God, though he had the, the word of God and he had the direction of God, really never decided to fully step into the will of God. He, he really struggled with and fought against the will of God. Uh, we talked about how he, he heard God call him, to preach to the, the Ninevites, this, this city, this great city in Assyria. And, and we talked a little bit about how the Assyrians had oppressed uh, the Israelites, how, how their practices were pretty grisly. They were kind of uh, upsetting. And, and so there was this, this sense of, of, of uh, judgmentalism that, that Jonah had that was, we might even say, somewhat warranted. There were things about Assyria and how they had oppressed and hurt and damaged the people of God that that had led Jonah to feel a a particular way towards them. And yet, when God tells you to do something, you don't argue. When God tells you to do something, you don't argue. But he does. He rebels and he goes, gets on a boat and tries to escape the, the presence of God. How many of you know that's not a good idea? It's never a good idea to try to escape the presence of God. He is... He's faster than you might think. And, uh, and so God meets him with a storm, and he's with these sailors who don't know God, but they, by the end of it, they end up praying to God, asking for God not to judge them as they throw the prophet of God overboard. And it is actually this act that brings peace. And so Jonah falls into the ocean, thinking that he's going to his death, wanting death more than wanting to obey God. But God is he's, hes a compassionate God, and he sends a fish to swallow him up. And this is the part of the story that we're, most of us are familiar with. And he's in the belly of the beast for three days and three nights. And at some point, he, he kind of comes to and realizes that God has saved him. He has not died in this, this tumultuous sea storm, but he's been saved and, and secured. And, uh, and when he does that, he prays and thanks God, and then... The fish vomits him up, and that's that's where he finds himself being recommissioned by God. He's given a second chance, and he goes into Nineveh and preaches. And we saw that when when for whatever reason God had prepared the people, it's like they were dough, and God had had mixed the dough. He, he had kneaded the dough, and he had it, it was rising. And and when. When Jonah came and spoke the words, boom, it cooked the dough into a wonderful bread. They, re- they responded immediately, and they repented. And today we're going to see that Jonah's response is still one of a rebellious prophet who does not want to fall in line with the will of God. He has been at odds with God from chapter 1, and he's going to continue. Have you ever been at odds with God? Some of you, yeah, one, one honest person. According to the Bible, we've all been at odds with God, and some of you may still be at odds with God. Maybe you've been reading your Bible, you've come across, you know, you're reading through and you say, oh, and then you come across that text and you realize, oh, I have not been doing that thing that I should be doing, or oh, I have been doing that thing that I shouldn't be doing, and you recognize the call of God on your life to obey, you recognize the call of God on your life to repent, and yet you say, no, I can't at this time, or I won't. You say I can't, but what you mean is I won't. Or maybe someone has offended you and you know that Jesus commands that we forgive as as he has forgiven us. And how has he forgiven us? Pretty extensively. Pretty extensively. He teaches the disciples. They ask him, how should we pray? And he says, well, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Let your name be holy. Let everything that represents who you are be expressed in holiness. And uh, your kingdom come and your will be done. In the same way that it is in heaven, let it be done on earth. And then he says this. uh, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who uh, have debts against us. He says, you should pray that God would forgive you to the same degree that you have exercised forgiveness for others. Forgive us this day our uh, forgive us this day our, our our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So there's this connection between our forgiveness and God's forgiveness and our experience of that forgiveness and he says please please do this and yet we've many of us find ourselves struggling deciding that we cannot again saying that we cannot but knowing that we won't or maybe you're here and you've heard that we're all rebels against God you've come to church and you've heard okay I'm a sinner you know that's that sounds like a an outmoded way of thinking but you've heard about the fact that you and I we live under the authority of a God who's created everything and that we are we are under submission to him and we are responsible to answer to him and yet we find ourselves saying you know what I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to trust in God. The truth is we all find ourselves at odds with God. So when that happens, what should we do? When we find ourselves at odds with God, what should we do? We're going to read out of Jonah chapter 4 together. Uh, if you'll stand with me. We'll read and, and find out the answer, I hope. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. Okay, here we go. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, merciful Father, I thank you for your mercy over my life. God, I thank you you for the mercy that you have over these people. And I thank you for the mercy that you've exercised over all of creation. That even though Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed, yet you gave them life and you covered their sin. That even though after you judged the people uh, through Noah... You you promised to never again bring that kind of widespread judgment over the earth. And God, I thank you that you have expressed your mercy most vividly in your son, Jesus Christ. Who, for the sake of those who trust in him, would go to the cross, would die in their place for their sins, and would rise again, defeating Satan's sin and death, so that we might live in the shadow of your mercy. And God, I pray that you would make us merciful people. Not people who who sidestep your truth, but nevertheless, people who never lose sight of the mercy that you've given us. God, I pray that you would make us the kind of merciful people that you are to us. That just as you are abounding in steadfast love, merciful, gracious, gracious, that we too would be merciful and gracious. And for those who need your mercy, I pray that you would extend it to them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Our God is a merciful God. And that's that's kind of the point of this text. This whole this whole book highlights Jonah's prejudice, his anger, his rebellion over against God's gracious mercy for people who did not deserve it. The the Ninevites, the the Assyrians, they were wicked people. And in fact, another book, the book of Nahum, it lays out some of their wickedness, some of their evil, and and God ends up judging them because they they don't walk out their repentance. But in this moment, they respond to the call of God, and they repent. If we back up to chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. When God saw what they did, talking about the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the d- disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God was merciful. It was merciful that God would allow them to, to live and, and do anything. Do you understand that it's merciful that you are breathing air right now? It is merciful that God has not smited me here on this stage because I'm a sinful person. It is the mercy of God that the Assyrians were able to do. How crazy is it that they were breathing in the the air of God's mercy as they oppressed the people of God. When you and I sin, when you and I disobey God, we do so empowered by God. We do so because we have our heart beating because God holds it. You don't keep your heart beating. Sure, you do your aerobics and your calisthenics and you run and that's great, but you have no real control over your heart. (coughs) Excuse me. It is God who holds you and it is God who mercifully held the Ninevites. He's a merciful God. He was merciful to Jonah in, in giving him this opportunity, calling him, thank you, calling him to to minister. He was merciful to Jonah by allowing him to be an Israelite who received the law of God so that he might know God in a greater degree. He was merciful to Jonah in allowing Jonah to disobey him and not experience death. He was merciful in giving him a second chance to do what he had called him to do the first time. He was merciful. God... Related to them in terms of mercy, and this this speaks to the nature of God. This is who God is. I, I quoted this before, and Jonah will quote it in a moment, but we'll read it once again. Nevertheless, in Exodus chapter thirty-four, when when uh, Moses wants just kind of a sense of who God is, I, I just need to see you, God. He says, "I just I want to see you." God doesn't necessarily allow him to see His glory because He doesn't want. Uh, Moses to die, but he does pass by him and, and he speaks his name. And he says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a, merc- a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he goes on keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father on the children and the children's children. And he goes on. So God is a God of justice and judgment, but at the same time, he is also a God of mercy. And Jonah knew this. That's who God is. And that's a good thing. If you're in this room and you're breathing, it's a good thing that God is merciful. Amen? Doesn't matter where you are, God is a merciful God. And we'll see, Jonah has a problem with God's mercy. If you read, Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4, it says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was frustrated. He was angry. And he was angry, it says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, please take my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. He goes on a rant for three verses. It is the mercy of God that he listened to that rant. If you're a parent, you know what that means. Your kid starts to fuss, and you're like, "It's the mercy of God that I'm listening right now." Not. It's also God's. He's restraining us in our own prideful wickedness, but it does not please God that, or sorry, it does not please Jonah. That God extended mercy to those people. Uh, who, who are those people in your life? Who are those people? Those people who watch Fox News. Blah, blah, blah. Those people who watch CNN. Blah, blah, blah. Those people who argue about politics. Blah, blah, blah. Who are those people? It did not please Jonah that God didn't take the hint when Jonah went to Tarshish. God, I, I got your plan, but but let me tell you why it's a bad idea. And 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 God didn't pick up the phone. And here, here he is, here Johnny. See, this is what I was talking about, God. This is why I ran. He is so blinded by his anger and his prejudice and his hate that he doesn't, he's arguing with God. Have you ever been there? You're arguing with God? It's the mercy of God that you're still here the mercy of God that I'm still here Jonah is so dissatisfied with the world that he's living in that he doesn't want to live in it God if I can't if I can't call the shots on how this ought to go if I can't tell you and have you follow along with what my idea of justice looks like then I don't want to live in this world I don't want to do this anymore God have you ever thought like that if this is if this is where our nation's going then I quit I'm moving to Canada or I quit, I'm doing this. I'm not bringing kids into this world. Have you ever quit on life because you were so angry at what God had allowed to happen? This is how anger works with us. Now, th- there's a kind of anger that, that is angry with the things that angry, or that, he, <laughs> there's a kind of anger that is angry with the things that God is angry about. That's a good anger that's not what this is. I mean, just so everyone's on the same page. And can I, can I just lovingly say to you that your anger is probably also not righteous anger. You know, we always want to think of ourselves, I'm just like Jesus. I mean, he went into the temple and he, he overthrew things and he, he made a whip. I didn't make a whip. I just, you know, I got really, it's not the same. I promise you it's probably not the same. Un- unrighteous anger always stems from the belief that Something in my kingdom isn't as it should be. You see, Jonah, part of his problem wasn't just that he didn't want to obey. It was that he wanted to be God. Now, he didn't say that. He was, a, he was more sophisticated than that. But it's just like the toddler who says, mine, 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 mine. From a toddler's perspective, everything is an extension of their being, right? That's my toy. This is my, my brother or sister to push over. When I was a, a baby, um, my mom, I guess, put me in a, a crib. We didn't have pack-and-plays back then, but I guess a crib or maybe it was on the floor, I don't know, um, with my, my cousin, and we're both babies, like one year or younger, um, so I don't hold myself accountable to this. I hold my parents accountable to this, but I, I looked at my, my cousin, and I pushed him over, and he started crying, and I laughed. And I think I did that a few times before they were like, we should probably let not you know separate them or something. But but I didn't see him as a person. I just saw him as this funny toy that I played with. And when you push him over, something happens. And that that's Jonah. That's us. When we when we get angry on 28 because someone cut us off. When we get frustrated because someone did something stupid on 66 and we're trying to get home. Don't they understand that I have a schedule that I have to stay on? These these rubber. Or, yeah, you can fill it all in. You know where I'm going. I don't have a situ I'm not actually angry right in this moment, but unrighteous anger demands that people and circumstances get in line with my will. It's when you get angry because someone dared to cut you off in traffic. How dare you? Now again, you may not use those words, how dare you, but that's what your heart is saying. It's when your coworker gets away with something and you get reprimanded for it and you just, mm, you don't say anything, but you, you file that one a, away. It's when your spouse doesn't apologize or doesn't apologize enough or doesn't apologize the right way. No, no honest people in the room. No. It's about me and my kingdom. Jonah. Was going toe to toe with God. He goes so far as to use scripture against God. Please, this is bad. He goes and he says this. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Do you hear how blind he is to what he's saying? He thinks he's so self righteous, he thinks he's so right. That he has no fear of the God who he has received mercy from. I knew you were merciful. <laughs> well, do, you, you almost want God to say, "Well, do you see? You want to see what judgment looks like?" Yeah. <laughs> and he uses Scripture where I, I quoted it, Exodus thirty-four. He uses Scripture against against God. Now I, I encourage you to read your Bible every day, but please. Read it with an attitude of submission. I, I say that to myself. I mean, I, have you ever looked through Scripture in order to prove someone wrong? I have. Now, there, there's, there's a right way of, of trying to understand what Scripture say, and, and I'm not talking about the apologists who are trying to stand up against uh, wickedness and evil in the world, or, or they're trying to take um, lies that the enemy has put out in the world and, and bring them into submission to the will of God. I'm talking about, Taking the Bible and, and causing it or trying to use it to serve your purposes. You know, you ought to, you ought to, to treat me this way because that's what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about you? And I say that to me. What does the Bible say about me? It's a weird thing for me to be up on stage saying, the, but you need to listen to the Bible. Because I, I, I have to say it to myself, Eddie, you need to listen to the Bible. Jonah's in a very dangerous place. We must come to the scriptures with an attitude of humility. This is God's word to us, not to them. Now, it is to them, but it's it's not to them in that way. Jonah's had it, and he's happy to let God know. And and God responds with a single question. In verse 4, he says, Do you do well to be angry? Another translation says, Is it right for you to be angry? Um, How many of you know when God begins to ask you rhetorical questions, you probably should slow down? It's it's a moment for you to take a second, maybe gather yourself, and start over. But he doesn't. Jonah gets so angry that he goes out of the city. He goes to the east of the city, and it says he makes a booth or a, a shelter for himself. He sits under the shade until he would see what would become of the sea. So, God said, in 40 days, I'm going to bring judgment. So, he's like, maybe God will still do it. Maybe he heard me. Maybe he, you know, got unconfused. And he goes, and in his anger, in his unwillingness to see reality, do you know that that anger will will taint your reality? You will begin to interpret things differently because of your anger. Things that that should just be nothing become offense. Things that, that, When God says, I'm going to do this, you begin to believe differently. Well, maybe he won't. He goes out of the the city and he waits and he's like, maybe God will still bring judgment. And so God, he gives him this object lesson. It says that the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort, right? Even in this moment, even as he's giving an object lesson, he is doing so in mercy, Right, when it says to save him from his discomfort, that's God's gracious mercy. He's not just trying to teach him a lesson. He's trying to be kind. Can I tell you that God is kind? He's, he's kind. If you're in this room and you're listening to this word, it's God in his kindness saying, come to me. Come to me. It's in his mercy that he's saying, come to me. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In chapter one, Jonah, he gets this call from God. How many of you would like to hear a call from God? Like you were 17, 18, I'm like, I don't know what to do with my life. And God says, I've got an idea, let me tell you what to do. That'd be great, right? You might get excited. You might you might get uh, happy about that. Jonah doesn't get happy. He he gets thrown overboard because he's trying to die rather than obey God, and he splashes into the ground or into the into the ocean, and but he doesn't die. He lives, and it still says he doesn't get happy. I mean, he prays, he, he repents, but he's not happy. He gets recommissioned with God. God approaches him again, and because he is so hard hearted and unable to or unwilling to see his own rebellious attitude, even in that moment when God is graciously saying, you know what, let's try it again, he's still not happy. But here, When God sends a plant to cover his head because it's hot outside, he's happy. Now, I hate the heat. I'm not looking forward to the summer. I'm already like, is it fall yet? But if that's the thing that gets you happy, when God has just brought redemption to 120,000 people in a great city, something's out of whack in your heart. He gets happy. Now, he's about to get very sad. So Jonah was exceedingly glad, it says in verse 6. But when the dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Now I want you to know that it says that he appointed the plant, he appointed the, the worm, and he appointed the wind. In the same way that in, uh, I think it's chapter 2. He appoints, no, chapter one, sorry, he appoints a fish. God is at work sovereignly in this man's life to try and help him see something. And in the same way, God is sovereignly in your life trying to bring you along and help you to see his mercy. And it dies, the plant dies, and Jonah is furious. It says that he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to him, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Is it right for you to be angry over the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know their right hand from the left and also much cattle? We saw that that God shows mercy to the Ninevites, and we saw that Jonah misses that, and he himself has received so much mercy, and yet he does not appreciate the mercy that's been given to him. And and God is trying to show him that, that he just doesn't get it. Jonah cared so much about a single plant, and God wanted to show Jonah that just how much he cared for the people, right? If if Jonah cared so much for this plant that was here today and gone tomorrow, then then shouldn't God care about those people, right? Those people are more worthwhile and, and worthy of God's care. And what's interesting, you know, at first I was like, why does he mention cattle? That's weird. But here's the thing. Jonah, even if he ignored the 120,000 people, there are, are cattle. There's animals. And the, surely the, the animals don't deserve the judgment that God was going to meet out on this, on this city. Right? If you care so much about this little plant that has benefited you, at least care about these cattle. Do you see how badly his anger has blinded him from, from a sense of reality? And don't kid yourselves. Your anger will do the same thing. So that's why Jesus says in the New Testament, he says, you know what, you, I've heard, you've heard it say that if someone murders, it's a bad thing. But I say if someone hates his brother, he's, he's committed murder in his heart. Because it's, it's that heart disposition that, that brings about that action. He's angry and he doesn't value it. Now this is a weird ending to a book, right? It just ends with God asking a question, you pity the plant? and should i not pity Nineveh there's no epilogue you know we'd we'd like for there to be credits and then maybe you know a secret scene where 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 Jonah is he's in the temple and he's you know it's him and God and they're they're hanging out again and maybe he's got a, got a few assyrian brothers and and they're he's learning you know or maybe he's in assyria and and he's teaching and they're like what and he's like oh let me help you and then they hug at the end and it's really fun and great and good none of that it just ends with this question just and that that's on purpose that's on purpose the abrupt ending invites us to consider our own hearts you know you're like what what happened there what do we do when we find ourselves at odds with God that was the question I started with you know I'm I'm a lot more like Jonah than I'd like to admit is anyone else like me? Okay, thank you. I appreciate those hands. The rest of you, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um <laughs> we're more like Jonah than we'd like to admit. And that's, o- that's okay to say here. You know why? Because God's merciful. We're, we're tempted to withhold mercy. We often minimize our own need for mercy. And we minimize how God has been merciful to us. In, in Ephesians, Paul talks about mercy in the New Testament and how God's really expressed the greatest degree of mercy. It says in chapter 2, And you, talking about us, were dead in your trespasses and sins. right? Because of our sin, because of our disobedience toward God, we find ourselves dead, not physically, but unresponsive to God. In many ways, very similar to Jonah. And it says dead in our trespasses and sins, in, once you, in, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, and we were carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You and I, apart from God, are in the boat of God's wrath. Like it or not, there will be a judgment, there will be a day where God writes every wrong and where God... He, he punishes wickedness, and there's two ways that he does it. He either does it at the end of time, when, when we experience God's judgment, or it happens on the cross. And he says that we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in what? Mercy. Being rich in mercy because of the great love, which he love which, with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses and sin made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved God is merciful when we looked at chapter 3 I made note that even even the name Yahweh relates to God's faithfulness and his mercifulness God is merciful that's, that's just who he is that's just who he is but the question is is, is that who we are How closely does your heart align with God's? If God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, is that something that characterizes you? And if you don't know, just imagine what your spouse would say. Just imagine what your children would say. Just imagine what your friends would say. Just imagine what your enemies would say. Would the people that you work with say, you know what, Bill? He's He's really, they might not say merciful, but they might say, he's really mm, kind. I don't know, that's a weird thing. We don't really say kind. He's a nice guy. You know, there's this one time where I I really messed things up, and and he just was, he kind of overlooked it. Didn't give me a hard time. What, What would people say about you? Is there someone to whom you need to extend mercy today? The mercy of forgiveness. Is there someone that you need to forgive today as an expression of the forgiveness that you've received? Or ha- have you minimized the mercy that you've received to such a degree that you don't, you don't need to give that person mercy. They don't deserve it. And I, I didn't mention this, but can, do we all know that no one deserves mercy? That's, that's the point. <laughs> that's, that's what mercy... I don't deserve mercy. There's no one who can point to God and say, God, I deserve mercy. The only person who deserved mercy, if we could even kind of couch it that way, was Jesus. And he was the one who didn't receive it. Is there someone to whom you need to extend the mercy of a second chance? God is merciful. What, we do, when you're, what do we do when we're at odds with God? That was the question I started with. What do we do when we're at odds with God? We, we turn away from that. That attitude, the, the, the king attitude, you know, how dare God? How dare those people? Everyone needs to get in line. We turn away from that. We receive his mercy. He is rich in mercy, and he has saved us because of Jesus Christ. We receive that. It's like, Jesus, I thank you that though I am a sinner, I'm not king. I am actually a sinner and a pauper in your kingdom. I thank you that you died for my sins and rose again, defeating Satan, sin and death. Thank you, God. We receive his mercy, and then we extend his mercy to others. Would you do that? Would you do that today? Would you join with me in being a people of mercy? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are merciful. I thank you that for my own life, you are merciful. And I recognize that that whatever comes on earth, whatever difficulties, hardships, pain, suffering, frustration, hurt that I experience, is still merciful in comparison to what I deserve. It's still merciful in comparison to being eternally separated from you because of my sins. And so God, I thank you for your mercy. And I pray that you would pour out your mercy on this people. For those who have forgotten or minimized your mercy, I pray that you would open their eyes to see how merciful you've been, that you are rich in mercy. And God, I pray that that for those who maybe have never reckoned with this, that they would trust in you today. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're still trying to to run your own kingdom, but now you're beginning to see that that Jesus is king, I want to invite you to trust him, to turn away from your own desire to run and rule your life, to turn away from your sin and your disobedience, and to make Jesus your Lord. If that's you, if you'd like to do that, would you just raise your hand? Once that hand is up, you can put it back down. Great. For those of you who raised your hand, would you just pray with me? There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it's it's a way of responding to what God is doing in your life. Say this, Heavenly Father, I turn away from everything I know to be sin, and I turn to you. I want to submit my life to you and trust Jesus Christ. Would you help me to live a life in obedience to you and in mercy towards others? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you come and speak to us after service? We're not going to put a spotlight on you or anything like that, don't worry. Or sign you up for a subscription or anything. We want to help you walk that out, figure out what the next steps look like. Family, it is good to be back home. Love you all.